We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter. And it's Monday, Monday, December 19th. Uh, we're coming up to, uh, it's going to be winter soon. Well, it's technically, it's cold enough to be winter now. But uh, but we, you know what we do on Mondays. We bring in James McCool. Mondays with McCool. James the co-author with me of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, the 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. Coming off a uh, a 10-game NFL Sunday slate where I made I made a couple hundred bucks. I may I won on FanDuel, lost on DraftKings, but didn't lose that much on DraftKings. Uh and uh really just came down to uh uh, did you play Zay Jones or not? And I did play Zay Jones, so I won. That's good. Uh, I also had some Zay Jones. Um, I, I made some adjustments to my model, Jordan. So your, your real model, not not the fake attractiveness model. No, actually, the fake attractiveness model. <laughs> oh, okay, so you're talking about the fake one. So Trevor Lawrence, it just it, it, he's the outlier. Well, no, no, no. See, so I I did a little bit more back testing, and um, I found that the length of a player's hair has a lot to do with their upside. So what happened and to so, Justin Herbert? 
Well, see, that's the thing. When Justin Herbert has longer hair, he has higher upside. Um, did, he, did he cut his? Did he cut his hair? Yes. No, he just he didn't find his ceiling last night. But but Trevor Lawrence, remember, he's ugly as sin. But he does have long hair, and so I input that into the model, and so I ended up with the Trevor Lawrence lineup, and uh, that lineup did pretty well. Um, so I, I also made a couple hundred dollars. I. If I would have had a couple things break my way, probably significantly more, but it is what it is, man. We take a winning week. I'm assuming that lineup is, uh, it was a Lawrence, Zay, Engram, Lamb, like that type of lineup, right? It was Lawrence, Kirk, Zay, and uh, CeeDee Lamb, yes. Okay, so then who'd you play in the tight end spot? Uh, Akonkwu. Okay, so you did that. You flipped it around. Okay. Yeah, I had a I had a secondary correlation of uh, of Akonku and Allen, which was boilerplate, but fine. It doesn't matter when I have a low enough on Jaguar stuff. You see the people in the YouTube chat. Feel free to hit hit that thumbs up button. You know how much we like those. Suki Singh, Suki Singh says that all the snowflakes from Buffalo fall in my lineups. Okay. Joe Mack, good morning. Matt Mears, good morning. James McGuire, I had Lawrence doubles and Hertz doubles and won a ham sandwich. That's what James McGuire said. Well, I mean, if you're playing large field GPPs, I mean, you need you need you need better than just. I got the bright stack. Do you got everything around it? Do you, I mean, yeah. like to to me the first off, first off, from from an ownership perspective in in the Millie, the 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 Chargers Titans game really got, if you want to use the term, steamed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had that as as the as the highest owned game, but not to the extent that that it was. So like I I did play, I did play that game. I played some. I played two tan. I played fourteen lineups. I played oh. two Herbert lineups and I played two Tannehill lineups. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize that Mike Williams would actually be higher owned than Keenan Allen. Like that thirty percent Mike Williams, twenty eight percent Keenan Allen. I mean, I played Mike Williams in like five or six lineups. I would have, I wouldn't have not done that had I known that he'd be actually hot. I'm playing Mike Williams, assuming that he's leverage off of Keenan Allen, right. and it turns out it's the, everyone did that, or people doubled with Herbert because Herbert was 25 percent owned, and I had him at like 16 percent owned. Mm-hmm. So it's like this entire game. Same for Henry. Like I had Henry at 24, and he came in at 35. I had Henry as, as one of the highest owned running backs, but not to this extent. Yeah. So like to me, I was, I was off. I was right directionally, but not proportionally. And the same can be said with Miles Sanders and Isaiah Pacheco. Like Isaiah Pacheco, I, I bumped up to 18% owned and Miles Sanders. I bumped up to 16% owned. Like they came in way higher than that. I mean, I bumped them up because I knew that they were going to be, Higher than what is being projected owned wise, but twenty eight percent Sanders. I mean, I had zero of them because I mean he 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 didn't even project that well. I mean, like he I mean he's one of those guys where yeah, I see the ceiling there, but from a from a from a GPP perspective, let me bring all my my players back in the pool. Like Miles Sanders was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelfth on my list. I would have played David Montgomery over him. Yeah, I mean, Miles Sanders, he he's he was right there with I had him projected well. I had him projected as the fifth best running back on the slate, but what, raw points or point per dollar? At raw points. Okay, he, so, he only projected so, for like what did you have what did you have Sanders at? 
Well, you had him fifth in raw points at fifteen point five. I didn't project running backs high very very high this week. Okay, Sanders, I I have my aggregate is fourteen point seven two, but that's still like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's like twelfth on the list. Yeah, I mean, if we're if we're looking at at points per dollar, well, now 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 we're concerned about 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 raw points. How, how many points? I mean, if you had him at fifteen and a half, and the one of the top, I mean, what were you projecting? Some of these up? What were we projecting? Henry, Jacobs, Eckler, Kamara, Connor, Stevenson. What were we projecting these guys at? So I had Stevenson at twenty. He was the best point per dollar value on the slate for me. Okay. I had Derrick Henry at like eighteen, which was okay. based on some some really bad weeks recently, where it's just super up and down. At Austin Eckler at eighteen, where his workload basically doesn't necessitate him as a as a high projected play unless he's going to score the touchdowns. At Josh Jacobs is the top overall median play at twenty four. So it was just like after that, it was basically like Miles Sanders, Alvin Kamara, Tony Pillard, James Conner, Isaiah Pacheco, Dave Montgomery. All those guys are basically the same play between like 13 and a half, 15 and a half points. Okay. Cause my aggregate had come Kamara and Conner at 18 each. Yeah. The, I mean, those guys like directionally, it's mostly the same. Uh, it, it just depends on one, the, the rushing and passing stuff in the red zone like that's the main reason why i had miles sanders above those guys because philadelphia was projected for two plus rushing touchdowns on the week so with them having by far the largest rushing touchdown expectation he's going to get a boost there that the other guys just aren't like kamara for instance he projected for me for about 15 but new orleans had the highest passing touchdown expectation on the week not the highest rushing touchdown expectation so that dings him really bad plus he doesn't get all the goal line work because they hate him for whatever reason so there were just a lot of things in terms of running backs this week, I just didn't have running backs projected all that well. Um, wide receivers have projected significantly better for me for the last couple weeks as the league has been a bit more pass heavy. So the only running backs that are really projecting well for me right now are going to be Josh Jacobs, Ramondre Stevenson, um, Derek Henry, and that, that's pretty much it right now. Those guys are going to project well. And Austin Eckler and Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey was, will obviously project well. But it's hard to get. It's hard for me to get projections high on running backs right now, and it, it ends up being directionally which ones do I want to take, and most of them are just projecting in the same area right now. Okay, but that that, that doesn't mean a reason why Miles Sanders should be twenty eight percent. No, 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 no. I mean, and, I mean, I I mean have... take a look at this running back ownership. I mean, Henry thirty five, Sanders twenty eight, Pacheco twenty five, Kamara twenty, Zonovan Knight nineteen, Pollard fourteen, McKinnon eleven. And he's the best to ever do it. James Conner, nine. Latavius Murray, seven. Like, I had, like, the running backs in my pool, I mean, I played, I mean, Josh Jacobs at 5% is a joke. I want to play as much of him as possible. Yeah. Right? So I played, I played a lot of these, like, I played Henry in, like, one or two, in, like, in the Chargers lineups. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Or across from Keenan Allen or something. Yeah, okay. I played zero Sanders. I played, like, two lineups with Pacheco. Right, and but I did play. I played Kamara plus London, so did as I a, yeah. as a correlation. Yeah, I would play like Zonovan Knight, Bert, Latavius Murray. James I'm really Lee. mad about that, by the way, because I I didn't have Zonovan Knight in my projection pool at first because the, some sources have him as Bam Knight and some sources have him as Zonovan Knight. So there's actually a naming convention issue in my projection set that didn't load him in at first. 
And when I was building before a subscriber noticed that I had Latavius Murray in my Jaguar stack. And then after that, Zonovan Knight project for two points better. And I was like, I'll just go with Zonovan Knight. And, you know, if, if I keep Latavius Murray in, it's an extra like 7K or something like that. And right, uh, because he scored 22 more points. Yeah, he crushed. He, and I like Latavius Murray in, in terms of value. He was fine. Like he projected pretty well in terms of value. Um, I played him on FanDuel. On FanDuel, yeah. Was he really? That's why I did well games? yesterday. I played. I I in my in my FanDuel lineup. I had uh, Zay Jones and Latavius Murray. It's a good lineup. And Jalen Hurts at quarterback. So and obviously, <clears throat> yeah. Zay Zay Jones. As as long as we're talking about point per dollar values, I had Zay Jones as the ninth best overall wide receiver last night, yesterday. Over oh, raw point wise. Raw points. Yeah. Well, let me take a look at that. Zay. Is he even on the yeah? No, no, he's not even close. He's like 18th or something. Yeah, I, I had him project for 15.2. Right, 13.32 aggregate. Yeah, yeah. If you had him at 15 point, you should have gotten him in like all the all your lineups. Yeah, he was he was a good play yesterday. I, I had the Jaguars, I had the Jaguars top overall stack, and people kept asking me, like, well, what about the, the Dallas defense? Like, bro, the Dallas defense just gave up like 400 yards to Davis Mills. Right. And like, and the other backup quarterback for the Texans. Like, I, I don't care about the Cowboys defense. Right. The, 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 on, the only play that I, I made sure to only have, I had what? I had one, I think I had one Mahomes lineup. Mm. That's the only lineup that had Chris Moore in it. I, would, I, I thought Chris Moore was the worst play on the slate yesterday. And that was before the ownership. We're talking about ownership wise. I, I mean, in, uh, yeah. So in terms of ownership, because I, I didn't even know that he was going to be that highly owned. He ended up 35% owned, I think, in the Wildcat, which is a lot of ownership. 30.7% owned in the Millie. That's I thought I played yeah. him in cash. I mean, I played him in both of my cash lines. Yeah, you played yeah. him in cash. 100% right. But I'm just saying at, at that ownership for 4,200, why? Like, you're, you're telling me that 30% of people decided to play a third-string wide receiver on the worst team in football as 14 point underdogs he projected for nine fantasy points which is fine from a median perspective in cash yeah i'm not gonna chase a 12 target game for christmas like come on what are we doing what are we doing oh there's there's the boy there he is we forgot to lock my door he's, he's, he's chasing he's chasing chris moore he's chasing chris moore targets all right, right. give me one sec i'm gonna turn off my camera here Oh. <laughs> and James is dead right now. Okay. If you got any questions, feel free to post them in the YouTube chat. Hit that thumbs up button. Yeah, James is back. I'm back. Yeah, that was funny. Um anyway, yeah. So Zay, Zay Jones projected very, very well. Um the the horror story of my projections yesterday for wide receivers was Nick Westbrook Akeen, who I had projected very well as well. Uh, and he did not do as well. But Ryan Tannehill getting hurt right away, like that that entire game just sucked. From, a, from yeah, well, I mean, I played Robert Woods in some lineups, so that was about just as bad. I liked the Tennessee side. I liked the Tennessee side more than the Chargers side. For that whole game bust. I mean, as other than Henry, that whole game busted, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think that the the way that I looked at that game, I was fine with having Derrick Henry across from a charger stack. But I also thought that like based on ownership, 
why wouldn't I just play Austin Eckler and have a well, I did that too. Yeah, I, like well for for me because I only have three lineups, right? Like so I have to I have to really think about the way that I build out that leverage. It was like I could build a Charger stack, which would have been something like Herbert, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, or Herbert, uh, Mike Williams, and Gerald Everett, and bring it back with Derrick Henry, and I'm fine with that. Like that works fine, but then you're kind of struggling with salary for the rest of it, and then that's how people get on plays like Chris Moore. Uh, or I can play the Tennessee side and Tennessee side has been passing on the red zone and when Tannehill has not been terrible for the price, like it made a lot of sense, especially with the narrowed target tree between basically just Woods, Akonkwu and, and Westbrook Akeen. So I can do that and then have a similarly high price running back in Austin Eckler who comes in at like 9% owned has the same ceiling as Henry. Um, I thought, I thought that was a that was a really good decision to make yesterday. But then, of course, Derrick Henry ends up having a Derrick Henry game and life is hard. Yeah, I think I played a lineup that looked like that. I also played a bunch of I also played a bunch of uh Mike Evans. And that was going great in the first quarter, and then they just I did then Yeah. Brady didn't Brady just turned the ball over four times in like in the third quarter or something. Yeah, I really liked that Bengals game. I did it. I, at one point, I had a, a Bengal or a Tampa Bay Cincinnati sack, but it was expensive. I didn't think that it was really worth it based on the price. Hard game to stack because if you're going to stack that game, you almost had to overstack it because it, it was so expensive. The only way that, that those guys get there is if it's a total shootout. So, right. Yeah. Here, here's here's, here's my, my second or worst lineup Tannehill. <laughs> Woods on Conqua with Eckler as the run back. Yeah, that's that's what I did. Yep, except with Westbrook right. Akeen instead of uh, Robert Woods. But this uh, 99.5, that wasn't even my worst lineup. Here's my worst lineup. I, I, I went for the Mac Jones stack. Oh, that's pretty gross. Yep. All right, and that. then I, Mac Jones plus Jacoby Myers plus Hunter Henry. Yep. Josh Jacobs as the run back. Yep. Played Donovan Knight and the Jets defense. Jamar Chase and Mike Evans across from each other, and Isaiah Pacheco was a one-off. It's good. It's not bad, except for ownership yeah, wise. Fine. I mean, yeah, but this is that. Yeah, I'm not playing a ton of Mac. I mean, my best lineup is a Mahomes lineup. Yeah, right. But I'm saying when I see when I see Mike Williams at 30, percent I go, damn, that's gross. Right. It's really gross. Uh, my my worst lineup was my Tannehill lineup. It scored 95. It's Tannehill, Eckler, Jacobs, Westbrook, Akeen. Akonkwu, bring it back with uh, Eckler. And then I, that one I had a secondary of uh, Olave and London. Garrett Wilson went off. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, CeeDee Lamb, right? I mean, like I was building, like, ownership-wise, I, I was fine with these lineups. Yeah, that was fine. Mike Evans as a one-off. Coming coming out of the early games, I loved this lineup. This was the lineup I loved the most, right? Because yep. after the early games, I've... Lawrence, Jones, Engram, Lamb. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I got Jacobs and Aguilar across from each other. I got Turner in the Arizona defense, and I got Mike Evans as a one-off. Let's go. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. It's a pretty good one. I didn't do it. Didn't it didn't do it. I uh I all I almost had it. If it was uh if it was a touchdown from Lawrence to Kirk to win it, I'd probably go into those last games feeling really, really good. Right. You still Unfortunately. Right. Say that again. You still would have lost, though. Yeah, well, I mean, that that one, I finished 175. If I get that, then Kirk ends up getting past his 100-yard bonus. It's probably 
another 20 something points sitting with Stevenson, Aconquu, and Allen to go with the Patriots defense. Um, it was pretty, it was pretty good. What I needed specifically was just Latavius Murray over Zona Midnight. And like, I'm right there. Right. Tilting. I, I think, I think it was very sharp to take the risk and play Ramondre Stevenson. Oh yeah. Yeah. Five percent owned too. That was right. Awesome. The same, that's the same thing I did with Jacobs. It's like, I knew, I knew this ownership is coming down because he was on the injury report and then the Renfro and Waller are back and the Patriots, whatever defense and the Raiders aren't a very good team anymore. I mean, like, so I'm like, yeah, but Josh Jacobs could touch the ball 35 times this game. And if people aren't going to play him and I'll, I'll, I'll play him over like Hen- Henry's 8,000. Henry's 35% on Jacobs is 5% on. Yeah. Literally the same play, just massive difference in ownership. Right. Massive difference. So that's uh, what I, so that's why I didn't play Steve. Like, like I, I wasn't going to switch my Connor lineups to Stevenson. Cause I thought Connor would be like 8% on as it is. And Connor plays like, like almost every snap for the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. So it's like, do I take, do I take Connor or do I take Stevenson at not as mm, I mean, not much lower ownership. It's like, now nah, I'll take, I'll take Con. I'll take my ninety-five percent snap share, and against the Broncos with Colt McCoy at quarterback. Yeah, yeah that, that that's kind of that's kind of the, the the problem by playing like guys like uh, like Bam Knight. Now I know that he got injured, uh, but uh, yeah, Zach Wilson led Jets the uh, Jets offense is probably not going to be very efficient. No, I mean, and, and I had, I did have a jet stack too. And that stack was, Oh, not, you played Wilson. I did play Wilson. Yeah. You played Zach play Wilson plus Garrett Wilson plus, plus, plus who? Elijah Moore. Plus Elijah Moore. Okay. Brought it back with Amon Ross St. Brown. Amon Ross St. Brown, 5% owned and puts up. A- after being chalk, after being 40% owned at similar prices for, because it's the Jets, it's Sauce Gardner, right? Whatever, man. You got to be afraid of the sauce. I, I am now afraid of the sauce, I guess. I, I thought that was a really good spot. I, I mean, the, the Jets, people have been just like rock hard over attacking the Lions defense with passing attacks for weeks. And then all of a sudden, Zach Wilson starts and people are just completely off. Like we've seen, people wanted to play much worse quarterbacks against the Lions defense this year. And people didn't want to play Zach Wilson. Comes in at 4% owned. I, I really liked that stack, actually. Uh, I, think, I think Eric By- Eric Bindforce said on on the yesterday's uh, morning show. We do a bunch of shows in the morning here on Roto Grinders. Eric Bindforce was talking about maybe playing Zach Wilson. The thing is, the key to Zach playing Zach Wilson in DFS is you don't watch him. No, absolutely not. No, because if you watch, I saw some of the plays on the red zone. I'm like, good thing yeah. I good. That good thing I, I didn't play any Jets other than Bam Knight, and I'm like, okay, at least Bam Knight will touch the ball until he gets injured, <laughs> and then, then that no. doesn't matter anymore. No, and, is and, it to me? To me, James, it, in this day and age of the NFL, the most tilting thing watching Red Zone, the most tilting thing in DFS, are goal line rushes. Yep, by a long shot. By long, your goal line rush. For when you have the not the running back that's in, because 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 that I would say number two on the tilt meter is having you know having uh Joe Mixon and him getting stuffed at the one like that's number yeah. two, 
But number one is having Joe Mixon and seeing Samaji Pirine get in at the one, right? To me, that's more tilting where it's like, oh, my guy could get an easy, pretty easy touchdown if he was just in the game like he's yeah. supposed to be. Yeah. Right? I, so when, you, imagine... when you see the Jets on the goal line, you're like, okay, let's see number 27 or whatever his number is. And it's like 32. Michael Carter's in. Well, this is not. I good. imagine that that's how everyone who has ever watched Kamara play feels all the time. Why is David Johnson in on third downs? <laughs> what is going on? Can you imagine being a Saints fan? Can you imagine being a Saints fan and watching that and just like feeling it deep in your bones that you're never going to experience happiness in your life? Just, just the worst. How thing. do they do? How, how do you have Alvin Kamara? who you would have to say arguably is the best pass-catching running back in, in one of. Maybe McCaffrey's one, but Kamara's two. And then he doesn't play passing. He doesn't play third and sevens. Doesn't make any sense. It, it does not make any sense. And, and, like, every single time that they decide, oh, yeah, third down, we're going to put in Mark Ingram. A, like, a, an angel loses its wings. I just I, I don't understand. Yeah, Mark Ingram wasn't even in. They just said, no, we're just going to replace Ingram with David Johnson. Which the corpse, the corpse of David Johnson is how did I did not even know that David Johnson was still in the league. Yeah, he's on he's on the Saints practice squad. Well, and yesterday he was on the Saints field during third. <laughs> right, right, because Dwayne Washington was injured. That's why. It doesn't make any sense. And it, it just it it is again confirming the fact that if DFS players ran at least one team in the league, it would probably be improved in some way. I think in the I think in the past five weeks, Derrick Henry has a higher target share than Alvin Kamara. He does absolutely, yeah. He has like seventeen percent target share or something. And Kamara is like, oh, I he just runs the ball on first and second down. What what world is this? I I just I don't understand. I like as the head coach of the Saints. I don't even know who's coaching the Saints anymore. Um, as the head coach of the Saints, I don't know how you <laughs> how you're in the Saints organization. Mm-hmm. And maybe you haven't watched any of what Alvin Kamara can do on third down. I just, I don't, how was he prepped? Watch whatever he could do when he catches the ball. I mean, play him as a receiver. I get fine. Third down, you want to bring in David Johnson and Alvin and have Alvin Kamara out wide or in, in the slot yeah. or something. Put him in the slot. He's their best. Re- I mean, truth. I mean, he's probably the best receiver. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it, well here, here's the, here's the key. Here's the, not, not to keep on complaining about it. The key is, is that, when you, when you play DFS, you shouldn't be playing based on what you think is going to, what, no. what they should do. It's what what they're most likely going to do. And this was the first week that Ingram is out. Yeah. And you're like, okay, Kamara's, Kamara's going to get that work. And he did. So like, don't project it for that anymore. No. Like they're going to, they're going to put in a, a crash test stuff. All the running backs could be out. Yet on third and third and nine, it would be they're gonna bring them some they're gonna bring in a mannequin from Bloomingdale's who doesn't doesn't even exist anymore. And they're gonna put that. It's it's not gonna move, but it's gonna be there. And it's not gonna be Alvin Kamara. So don't bother projecting it anymore. I mean, this is why I only had him projected for like 14. Well, that's why most people had him for a higher target share. Yeah, I don't know why though. Well, because it's Ingram's out. Okay, Ingram fine, let's catch. go. Ingram doesn't catch. Yeah, but neither does Kamara, apparently. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the point. That's, 
that's the point. One of the biggest edges that you can have as a DFS player is just not trying, not playing people based on what you want to happen. Right. Play the people same reason why Isaiah Pacheco typically doesn't project well because, like, the Chiefs do not throw the ball to him. No. He rushes fine. He, he had 86 yards on the ground. That's great. But he only had one right. catch. Right. Jarek McKinnon is going to come in and do all, 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 the, all the heavy. And moves. then get three 50-yard receptions for touchdowns. And actually end up with four touchdowns on three touches for the day. Because that's, that's what Jarek McKinnon does. That's that's what he does. Yeah. Jarek McKinnon is the Christian Watson of running backs. All they do is score touchdowns. That's literally it. And people play Jacoby Myers and he threw an interception. <laughs> or he threw a he threw a fumble. What was that? That was that was maybe the worst play I've ever seen. Um, and then like all the guys who are coming out after the fact, and like Jacoby Myers, like, oh, it's all on me, and Mac Jones, like, oh, it's all on me. And it's like, no, guys, 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 guys. Just literally point fingers at the coaching staff. Because why did that happen in the first place? Like, why why on earth could it ever be a situation where the game is tied and you have decided as a coaching staff that you're going to do a hook and ladder backyard BS play instead of anything else? They Anything ran else. the ball. That wasn't a hook and ladder. They ran the ball. No, and then Ramondre Stevenson threw it back as if it was a hook and ladder. Right. No, he ran the ball, and then he pitched it off to Jacoby Myers. And then Jacoby Myers turned around and threw it to Mac Mac Jones. Like, what is he going to do? And then Mac Jones, uh, the, uh, the other Jones, caught the ball and then ran him over. Yep, Mac Jones had will. no shot. Just, he just ran him over. Yeah. Like, what are you well, going to expect? That's the thing. Like, I, I I cannot understand – I played football for a long time. I do not think that it's possible that Ramondre Stevenson just willy-nilly decided to throw that back. I think the coach – Jaguar and Chad, the same thing, so they went rogue. I don't yeah. think they went rogue. I think that I think that had to have been something that the coaching staff said, hey, we're going to try to win the game <laughs> because, because players don't just do that. Players don't just do that. Especially the Jacoby Myers pass. I can understand Stevenson rushing, about to get tackled, and goes, oh, I see you here. Let me pitch it off to you so you can continue running or something like that. But to throw it all the way back to the court, the only person back there was Mac Jones. It's not like they had skills. What's he going to do? Is he going to catch the ball and throw a forward pass now? Like, that's not how this works. Right. You can't do that. Right. So that's... You want to give the ball to Mac Jones, who runs like a six eight forty? Like, why, why would you throw it? Back? What what's a what's a worse play from yesterday? Was it was it that play, or was it the fact that uh, Terry McLaurin doesn't know the rules? Apparently, Terry McLaurin asked the ref if he was good, and who, the ref who does him that? Yet. I I I'm I've been an official, okay, not a not a football official, but a baseball umpire and a soccer referee, like. You can't ask if you're like like the pitcher can't ask if he's he's in the mound area or something like like. Well, for, no, no, no. Running uh, wide receivers do make sure that they are aligned correctly. Whenever whenever you see a wide receiver stick his hand up to the ref and and say this, like wideouts do that pretty much every snap. They make sure that they are aligned correctly. That's a that's a football. But thing. do they do they do they do the referees? Yes, they, they say they nod. Yes, they say yes. They, oh, okay, they well, I didn't know. I did, like I said, in the NFL, I don't know. But yep, they acknowledge. So Terry McLaurin, absolutely within his right, said that he checked and made sure, and the ref said yes. And then after the play, they called a legal formation on him. 
Because basically, like, the, the, the illegal formation is the fact that they didn't have enough people on the line of scrimmage. Yes. Because the yes. two tight ends are off. The two guys on the other side of the line are, are offset. And the guy in the slot to go up and down has yep. to be offset. So they don't have enough guys on the line of scrimmage. And Terry right. McLaurin wasn't completely on the line. Yeah. And, and even though he asked the referee, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm on the line, right? Yep. Why, why do they have to ask the? Why can't they just look? I mean, like, what's... Well, I mean, they they ask. Isn't that, is that hard to be on the line? It's just that they're far enough away that they just want to make. They don't want to be offside because then it's that's it's too an far insurance policy, right? Like all all it is is just like formality of like every single wideout wideout is taught since middle school to just check with the ref. If if you are the Z wide receiver, if you are the outside wide receiver, check with the ref. Make sure that you're online. That's every single wide receiver since middle school. So that McLaurin was doing what he does, and the ref apparently lied to him. Uh, and said yes, and, and that's that's on the league, man. That's that is absolutely on the league. That's not Terry McLaurin's fault. Technically, technically, it's te- Terry. He's supposed to be on the line. I mean, I te- technically, I guess. I just didn't realize they real they so they do that every so they do that all the time, every single play. Okay. Yep. yep. That's not something that's in the rule. That's not something that like. No, it's formality. It's formality. Right. It's that this is not a officially you're not going to find it in the rule book or anything. Yeah. It's and and the reason for it is I mean, like you said, like. The, the the inline, the slot receiver and the tight ends, those guys who are inline, they know where they're supposed to be. And, right, and obviously. Outside guys, like, since they are outside that far, they always check with the ref and make sure they're online. And I, I highly doubt that McLaurin is, is not proficient enough at this to do that every single play and then be offsides there. Like, he checked to make sure. So that, that's on the refs, man. That's not on him. Just that I, I've, I've never I, I'm trying to think of in baseball. There's anything where you would ask the umpire something before a play, before a pitch, before a throw. Before and I don't think I you do it in baseball. The only thing I can think of is in the batter's box, just making sure the guys are set. But I I don't know that much about. Um, yeah, or am I a batter that doesn't really that it is is it a weird stance that yeah. Is he is he in the batter's box? You know, like outside of the line or something like that. Is this fun? like? And if I was doing the plate, I would I would say, yeah, you're in the line, be fine with it, right? But I wouldn't say nothing, and then when he hits the ball, call him out because he's outside of the batter's box. Right. Like it, it just I'm trying to think of where that would even exist because, like, on things that hasn't happened yet, I would I would if someone would if a pitcher would ask me. Like, because you see this in the little league a lot. People trying to do the hidden ball trick. Yeah, yeah. Not realizing what the rules are because they watch movies that don't realize what the every hidden ball trick you've seen in a in a major motion picture has been a balk because the pitcher can't faint having the ball on the mound. Right. Right. It's that's a balk. Right. So he has to be away from eighteen feet away from the rubber, mm-hmm. which would be the bet would be the mound. But I mean, in a lot of little leagues. There's no mound. There's just the rubber in the middle of dirt. So, like, if if the pitcher, if I was the base umpire, and the pitch and the pitcher was like six feet away from the from the rubber, and asked me, he said, "Am I far? Am I am I considered on the mound?" Like, I don't know what I would. I mean, it's never happened, but I'm just like, I I wouldn't. You can't answer that. It's the same. It's the right. same thing as you can't answer. Did did a guy touch a base? Right. Like you either have to appeal or don't appeal. Like you can't ask me beforehand. 
the other the other team, the team that scored or whatever, can't. Did I miss second base? Did I touch second base or not? Like you'll find out if they appeal or not. Like I'm. As long as you touch first base, you're on the base path. So like, if you missed all the other bases and came home, I'm going to count you as a run. Unless I knew you missed second and third, but the other team has to appeal. Right. Right. It's yeah. like it's one of those things where you would never answer. It's like I know exactly what it is, but I can't answer without you actually committing to an act with an appeal or run back or run back if you didn't think that it's that big of a deal. So I, I, I've never, I've never refereed football. So like, that's why it's really weird that the referee would, would say, yes, you're on the line. And then immediately, I mean, he immediately threw a flag. Yeah. It's not like I, he thought I, about it. It's like, yeah, you're on the line. Snap flag. There's just nothing to say about it. I, I but think there's nothing that, in the rule, but the, the thing, the thing, the point that I'm making is that there's nothing in the rules. Right. No, like, there's not. It's, it's, it's real. It's, it's, it, from a technicality standpoint, that's that's on Terry McClure. From a technicality standpoint, sure. From a formality standpoint, it's something that is just. It, there, there are so many things in NFL that are just like unwritten rules, and and so many things that are so subjective. And this this is going to come down to something that I'm sure there's going to be coverage of it. It's going to come down to oh well, like you said, technically this is on Terry McLaurin to make sure that he's right. And like, even if the ref says yes, he should just make sure that he's right. <laughs> but it's just going to be another stupid thing where NFL rules just are fly by wire and they make up the rule book every single night. Uh, because there's no way, like, you know how sometimes they'll they'll refer to the ref in New York. I don't even remember his name, but they'll ask him like, "Hey, uh, you know, what's what's the rule surrounding this?" And he'll be like, "Oh, well, per the rule book, blah 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 blah." Uh, the the ball can only be thrown if it's blue and has six laces, and it's like that's not in the rule book. That's there's no you're making that up, and I think they do that a lot. I I think they do it just for the purpose of the product. Also, also, was it just me, or that that Raiders touchdown at the end of the game? That was not it. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. I, I I saw it I saw it the the on red zone and I'm like this is this is obviously going to be overturned like yeah. you could, like his his like a good two inches of his toe is in the white unless unless it's an optical illusion like his foot is is his second foot is out of bounds so Clearly. I'm like okay so what are the Raiders going to do now and then they're like no they're kicking the extra point what <laughs> I don't know that was a <laughs> touchdown that it, are, what. It doesn't make any sense, dude. Like it, it truly. Did we miss something? Sense. Did they explain? Because I didn't hear the explanation of like, oh, that was a bad. His foot was in, but that was a bad angle. I, I was the explanation just there wasn't enough to overturn it. Yeah, not enough to overturn it. Yeah. What I was looking at should have been enough to overturn it. <laughs> How is that not enough to overturn it? It doesn't make any sense, dude. I, I don't know. Half his foot was out of bounds. I, I think that it's a conspiracy to keep the Belichick tree alive. That's what I think it is. I think that it's a conspiracy to not get Josh McDaniels fired, even though the Raiders came out and said that they literally cannot afford to fire Josh McDaniels, or they would. Uh, so, which it's is always hilarious. a sign of confidence, right? You're here. It's like the only reason I'm here is because I'm too. I'm, I'm. It's too costly to buy out my contract. <laughs> That's so sad. Didn't, so, didn't someone? I saw a tweet yesterday, the day before, that NFL teams are paying out like eight hundred million dollars. In contracts for coaches that don't even coach anymore in the NFL. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds about right. 
I'm stop, stop doubling. I, I think that the contracts at this point have gone too far in every major sport. These baseball let, contracts. Let, no, I'm on the player's side. Let the player. No, 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 look no, at this. No, ba- no. Look at this baseball contract now. Anytime I see a tweet, oh, so and so, some create a player signing a two year contract for seventy four million dollars. I go, what? <laughs> what? No, no, no. no. Somebody Wasn't was it like Daniel Ro- like Daniel Robinson re-signed with the Mets for like twelve million a year? I'm Somebody like, argued with me the what? other day because because Andrew Benintendi got a five year seventy five million dollar contract. This is fifteen million dollars a year for Andrew Benintendi. For Andrew Benintendi, who's not a bad player. No, no, but come on, man! Like that. No, one, but the, I, I, dude, I, I'm 15, for the players. I, no, 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 but those this, owners for as much this money. This frustrates as me from a like logistical and like relative standpoint of how can like when when does this stop like when when does the train end up off the tracks because we're ending up doing this kind of stuff with good but not great players Andrew Benatendi is a fine six hole hitter all right he's okay he he hits well enough he can steal some bases like he's, I, he's I think I think your point James is that giving they're giving guys 10 to 15 million dollars a year that are only slightly better than triple a ball players that are getting yes and three hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year if you i don't think that i have a problem with the size of the contract because joey gallo got one year for 11 million all right and joey gallo what whatever like one year for 11 million is is fine i think that's fine five years at 15 million is not fine. Take two years off of that. Take thirty million of that and put it into the pool for the minor leaguers. Like and that contract. But that's what the contracts are. But did you you have to get away from the from the length of the deal? That baseball players are just like, pay me X amount. Yeah, for, it's most. And they're, 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 they're not staying for fourteen years for ten years. They're yeah. they're just like I'm guaranteed that amount of money. For the rest of my baseball career, and whoever wants to trade for me, that's what my price is. Yep. And now you, they, they've taken care of it for the rest of their baseball career. Sure. Like that's what they're—that's what these baseball players are trying to do. I mean, they're—they're they're not going like I'm. Mm-hmm. They're not in the position of like I'll sign a two-year contract and see what happens. It's like, get, if I can make four hundred million for the next ten years, give me that, and then yep. I'm happy, and then. Feel free to do. I, I'll go to any team, and it's almost like they're signing with Major League Baseball. That's they're that's not exactly signing with an actual team. Right. But that's that's exactly the reason why I think that they should be cutting off the top of these contracts and bringing it into the minor leagues because that the minor leagues. I, I'm not going to get on a full soapbox here, but like these minor league players are treated like trash, and um, th- like the the system from basically as soon as you get out of high school, you get drafted out of high school, and then you go into poverty for three years until you're in the league. That sucks, man. That should not and 90, be 99% of people don't make it. Yeah, well, but but you should still. I mean, if you could draft it out of high school, you're one of the top, what, 5% of players in the nation, 3%? I, like a really, really high amount. Yeah, but you're going to get three. You're going to make $300 a week. <laughs> yeah. That's, what, that's, what, but that's what it is. You're going to make, you're going to, you're going to get a stipend. You're not even going to make money. You're going to get a stipend. It's a stipend, right? You don't get to, you don't even get lodging paid for it. You don't get meals paid for it. That, that's kind of the, the problem that I have with it is you're still dedicating yourself to this sport. You're still dedicating yourself to the major, to the major leagues. And uh, I, I'm not even saying that these players should be making a lot of money. They, they should be making like a thousand bucks a week. Probably you're, you're top. 
You're like the well, top. Well, in Triple A they are. In 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 Triple A they are. Sure, yeah, but but like to be able, th- there are a lot of players, and, and this comes back to my hatred of college sports, which is getting better now with with the way they're handling players being paid. But like, there are a lot of players that get put into this position, and if you're making three hundred dollars a week, like you might not even have the opportunity to make it up through the minor leagues because now you have to take that three hundred bucks a week, and you're just screwed because you can't economically afford to continue doing this. You can't economically afford to be able to continue to refine refine your craft. And become better at this to the point where you can make it to AAA. Like they, they, there's a lot of players that likely have been shot out of this league simply because you cannot make enough money as a minor leaguer in single A or whatever to even experience your true potential. And I think that sucks. Um, even in even in, even in the lower brackets of like single A, double A, whatever. If single A could be making a thousand dollars a week, double A two thousand dollars a week, AAA three thousand dollars a week, that is. That's sweat off the brow of the contracts that are placed in these baseball contracts. And I just think that that could be better spent. Take 30 million of just Andrew Benatendi's contract and give it into the main, into the minor leagues. And that's enough to sustain for a year. Aren't, at you, least. aren't you describing what our entire American economy is? Yeah, man. And it pisses me off every day. Right. <laughs> you, what you're benefit. describing is not just baseball. It's all, it's pretty much everything else also. And, I, and I'm a benefit of the American economy, right? Like, I, I live a very good life because of the American economy. But I, I still think that there should be better ways to handle the, the situations of, like, the top 5% of people doing something rather than just the 1%. Just extend it a couple percentage points down, and I'll get off my soapbox. But that right. that's one of the things that frustrates me about pro sports, for sure. Well, but I mean, it frustrates me about, uh, about uh, the American economy also. I mean, like... The reason, the reason why I make courses, me and you, Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, we got the advanced players course. Feel free to go pick that up with uh, James's Excel tools. Mm-hmm. Is that I always, I always call myself, I'm an ethical capitalist. Sure. Okay. So like me personally, I think there should be a lot more social programs and universal health care and all, you know, all, all, all the, all the trappings that should take care of everyone in this country mm-hmm. but uh the reason why i make i want to make money is so i can continue doing what i want to do to make money right doing what i want it's not about making the most amount of money it's it it comes back to that 50 to seventy five thousand dollar a year type yep. of thing it's like if i could just do content like this and play dfs right you build your models type like that like I don't need I don't need a million dollars a year. Yep. I just need enough that I don't have to worry about going and doing anything else other than this, right? So it's a peace of mind thing. The thing is, is that ninety nine percent of this country doesn't get doesn't have that luxury. Mm-hmm. So when when people would 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 come to what would someone like new or someone that that wants to do a YouTube channel or a podcast and they go, you know, what what's what's your advice? How do I how do I how could I create something as successful as you? I said. You you got to just go and do it. Yep. And you're gonna do it for no money for five years. Yep. For not, but you, you have to put in a ton of time. And they're like, well, I already I have two jobs already, and I got this or whatever. I'm like, well, you got to find time. Like, that's Hard. right. You you have to find time to do this in order for it to potentially turn into something where it replaces the thing that you never want you didn't want to do in the first place. The but the thing is, is that most people don't have that time. Yep. And, right, and most, 
absolutely. Here, here's my path, right? I, I wrote for free at Roto-Grinders for a year, right? I wrote on the blog. Right. And then I, I won some awards and I got picked up at Daily Roto. I wrote for $25 an article over Daily Roto for a while. That was fun. That was good. And then I got to DraftKings where I wrote for five cents a word, which sounds just depressing, but that's what I did. And I dedicated a lot of time to this. Remember, this is me with a full-time job. I'm still doing this stuff. Took me like three, four years of climbing up that ladder. Eventually got through all that stuff and then started Paydirt. And now Paydirt is my main income, right? Like it is, is the main thing I do. I make about $85,000 a year with it. And I'm happy with that. But it took me four years of basically making $600 a month doing what I love to do to be able to be in a position now where I can support my family with what I do. Right. And so you're, you're, you're the Andrew Benintendi of the DFS industry. <laughs> I like to think I'm a little bit better than Benintendi, but yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I basically am above average in plenty of things. I'm not an, I'm not a, an Aaron judge, right. But I don't want to be an Aaron judge. I'm okay being an Andrew Benintendi, right. I'm okay being productive and solid. So why why you, why you give $35,000 of, of that to the, to the, to the guys that are now getting five cents a word at, at DK Nation. Well, because I am paying people now, actually, because I have enough money to do it. Oh, okay. So there you go. Like, that's that's the thing. Like, do do something that you love to the point where you can then offer up a platform to other people. That's that's my goal at Pater. It's to be able to give something that's, like, affordable to everybody and then also eventually be able to bring people in that want to start in this industry. Like there, there's a writer that I have right now for NBA. His name is Camden. And he came to me when I said that I was going to, I was going to start having some NBA writers. And uh, he was like, look, I just want to try to get into this industry. I just want to be able to see if I can do it. I'm like, all right, cool. You sound like I did when I wanted to start out. So now he's writing some NBA articles for me. He does a good job and hopefully he can turn that into something more. Um, and being able to offer that kind of stuff, like that's definitely something that you want to be able to do once you have gotten there yourself, but you can't get there if you can't get there yourself. And if, and there's a lot of people that are probably people who are way better than I am at, at what I do that just don't economically have the ability to put themselves in my position or don't have the time or don't have like the ability to push themselves towards this goal. And that kind of sucks, but it is what it is. That's, that's the American economy for sure. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. They're not going to replace me.
No, they're not. No. Well, be, because you're 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 a total nit and you're willing to just do all of this basically for free so that you can continue to sustain your lifestyle. Well, well, I mean, but the thing the thing is is that like as like, playing DFS, like I in 2015, it's just like I'm I'm gonna spend I'm gonna spend 16 hours a day studying this stuff. Yeah. Right? Over and over. But it, it was on the basis that I was working from home as it is with my own digital marketing agency mm-hmm. so i was the boss yep. right so as long as i got all my client work done it didn't matter what i mean i went to meetings did phone calls or whatever but most in a 10 10 to 12 hour day in front of a computer like i spent eight of it doing dfs yep. right stuff yep. and whatever because i could get everything done in four hours for everything else but most people aren't in that position yeah so when people when people say that it's like oh i just I did the hard work, right? Which I did do the hard work, but I was also in a position of privilege where I had the opportunity to do that. So I know, I know I when the point that I make sometimes on shows, on this show, DFS pregame show, when I'm like, you know what you should do? You should go back and you should watch every piece of content I've ever done. And people go, well, that's like 700 hours of content. And I go, yeah, yeah watch, watch watch it all they go well how do i have time to watch it all like some of the some of my my i'm trying what i'm trying to say is not necessarily that you should watch it all but it's like what are you doing that you're not doing right and you should be filling up all of the time all of it with that and if you're like well i don't want to fill up all of it with that well then then don't then don't complain when you're not good at it right Right now, what's all? Now, for me, all I could spend sixteen hours. What I mean, I mean that's literally what I did back in 2015, 2016. Wake up in the morning and watch eight hours of old Roto Grinders videos, like in a row. Answering some emails because I'm still doing work stuff, but I'm like I'm leaving it on. And then you know, I then I go to sleep and I wake up and I do that again and yeah. again and again and again. Yeah, maybe. For other people, like you have two hours of that time. So what are you doing? What are you doing with that two hours of time? Like your two hours of time is I'm going to, I'm going to sit back and watch the NBA games. It's like, you know, what would be better. You don't need to watch the NBA games. You should spend the time from eight to 10 instead of watching the Knicks or whatever into watching strategy videos on how to get better at playing daily fantasy sports. If that's your goal. Right. If that's your goal, right? If you go, if if this is entertainment, then don't don't. Who cares? Do whatever the hell yeah. you want. Yeah. And then that is where you pay for Roto Grinders, or you pay for Pater, or you pay for whatever, because we have done that. We've done all of that already. So you you can watch the next game, and you can use our stuff to just give you the action that you want. It's all about goals. It's all about goals. So if you want to pick up the theory of daily fantasy sports, either either the uh, the the first masterclass or the advanced players course, which comes with the custom Microsoft Excel tools, go to theoryofdfs.com. Daniel Hutchings makes a good point. Uh, honestly, I think a big part of some people's struggles is that they've never gone deep into anything, and they don't understand the value of in depth work and practice. I that's a very that's a very good way of putting it because it's something that I don't understand. 
Like the reverse is what I don't understand. I'm assuming I'm a I'm a Daniel is probably nerdy tenors similar to I'm more similar to him and we're more similar to him. Yeah. Right. I'm not. Yeah, sure. I'm not going in and I'm learning how to, you know, do a ton of computer programming work, but it's like, but my, my entire life has been, Oh, I enjoyed this thing down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Like, just like, like if I don't, if I don't like it, like, I just don't, I don't even care about it. Yeah. Like I'm not going to bother with like, Oh, there's, there's this thing that that's on and whatever. It's like, if it's, if it's not worth me obsessing over it for like 16 hours a day, then it's not worth me even considering at all. Yeah, absolutely. So like, I'm so used to like, if you're looking to solve a problem that you really, really want to solve, or you're really, really interested in, then like, why wouldn't you read every, like, why wouldn't you read every poker book? Like 2002, 2003, I was like, like, I'm just going to read every poker book. It's like, well, which ones? I'm like, why not everyone? Right. Like this, I have a larger, that's like a larger life thing though. Right. Right. Of like people focus, man, we are getting philosophical today. Uh, people focus a lot of energy on things that just do not matter to them. And it, and it is intrinsically a waste of time, a waste of energy because of no, but, but isn't, not- isn't what dirty, no, with dirty, t- unless you're trying to get to the point, it's like, no, what, what Daniel's saying is that people don't understand the value of in-depth work. Like for, for instance, like in school, right. In English class, I could pass the test with Cliff's notes. Right. Right. Because you like, never needed to go in depth because you didn't care that much. And because I didn't I'm, care that much, but I'm on an, that in another much. subject, I, I would never even consider the Cliff's notes because I would want everything I could possibly. Right. And want. that's, and that, it, that, but that it had nothing to do with me passing the test. It's like, if it just had to be me passing the test, right. Then I, I would go as I would do what I do in DFS. What's the least amount of work for the most amount of return yep. that I could get? Can I get a 92 by doing three minutes of studying? Then, that's then I'll, I'll get a 92 over getting a 98 by doing any, any like more work. Right. But th- in this scenario, this is, this is more the fact of maybe, maybe my, my disconnect with a lot of people is that like, I don't understand that to me, when, when you say goals, it's like, I'm playing, I play DFS because I enjoy intellectual challenges that mm-hmm. reward me with money, right? That I could sit and go, I'm going to, I'm going to be smarter than you. And the reward for being smart is financial. And it's enough of a financial reward that I don't even have to do anything else. Right. All you have to do is be smarter than other people. All I have to do is be smarter than other people. And people that in order to be smarter than other people, you, you have, I want to learn everything, Mm -hmm. like everything that's possible. Always be learning. Yep. So there's no such thing as a shortcut to me at all. Yep. But that's, that is what, that's what I'm getting to here. But if you're, but but the point is, is that if you're not doing that, then you are playing casual. Like, there to me, there's no spectrum. Like no, it's a distinct breaking not. point of like if you're not doing that, then you are playing recreationally. And you're yep. like, how could I be playing recreationally? I listen to four hours of content a day, and I do like like. But you're not thinking about the game in any amount of depth or detail. You're you're how do I get? You're, you're thinking in terms of 
how do I get through today? You're thinking of how do I get to my meal today? Who cares about saving up for the future? Like, how do I get dinner today? And it's like, I think I'm looking like, how do you, how do you cook and how do you hunt and stuff? So I don't have to think in terms of a day-to-day type of thing. Yeah, I think I'll push back a little bit on that, though. Because I think that a lot of people who are listening to four or five hours of shows and, like, absorbing all the content, I think that they are actively trying to learn how to cook. I think that they are actively trying to learn how to hunt and gather and do those kind of things, right? I don't think that that is simply uh, going to the seminar so that you can get today's meal. Because I, I do think that a lot of content is nowadays focused a lot on how to make good decisions, a, a good amount of it. Like there's definitely content out there that is just today's meal, but I think there's a good, good amount of content that is how to go and find the ingredients for the meal and cook it yourself. Um, I, I think that where people mess up is that they are going to the wrong seminar. I think that there's a lot of people who are trying to absorb knowledge that is not necessarily uh, fruitful forward when it comes to the things that you need to learn how to do for DFS and to be able to cook your own meals and do that kind of stuff. Um, and, and that, that just comes down to trusting the people that are putting out the content, trusting that the content is good. And also at the, the, at the very core of this understanding that today's meal might not come. What you are trying to figure out is how to make sure that you have consistent meals in the future. So people can't dedicate to it. It's not a long-term mindset. That's what I think the biggest issue is for a lot of people. I think the largest delineation between a casual player and a pro player, or not even a pro player, but a casual player and somebody who does this for secondary income or for a large goal is that they just can't think long-term. Whenever I do coaching and I, and I open up with, okay, well, do you want to make secondary income with this? Yeah. Okay, well, you understand that we're making that goal for a year from now, right? Yeah, okay. And then I don't get another coaching session. After right, that. three weeks later, it's like, why isn't this thing working? Yeah. So that's that's what I think the biggest disconnect is. I think people dedicate themselves to, to their ability. I, I think the DFS is an incredi- incredibly addicting game to the people who want to be able to be good at it. Um, but I, I think that a lot of people will fail to understand the long-term implications of the decisions that they're making. And I think that a lot of people will also fail to be able to separate the 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 noise away from the valuable information that you could be studying and just listening to people who are only looking for short-term gains and there there are a lot of them but i think that the, the venn diagram is 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 very close to the people that don't understand pro, that don't understand basic statistical concepts mm-hmm. yeah like 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 i yesterday i was i was watching conversation in another in another discord i didn't i didn't I didn't participate or anything, but like for like cash games in NFL, especially this late in the season, like the differences between like, I could, I could show you 10 different cash cash type lineups from yesterday. And they'd they'd all be, I'd be like, okay, that's, that's, that's reasonable. Right. Mm -hmm. That one's reasonable. That one's reasonable. That one's reasonable. And people will spend hours, days arguing over this 2v2, should you have played this guy? Should you have played that guy? Like, without realizing that, like, the concept of what you're doing is extremely small edges. Yeah. Extremely. So, the difference, I when people want to go, this cash lineup or that cash lineup, and one lineup outperformed the other by 37 points. 
and go, I should have played, I should have played the Zay Jones lineup. I should have, I should, I shouldn't have played Herbert in cash. I shouldn't have played Dulcich at tight end. I go, this is what I'm gonna do. Okay. Instead of let's instead of let's talking about players and lineups, I'm gonna give you a die. I'm gonna give you a die. Okay. Obviously, it's a it's gonna be a big die because it needs a lot of sides. Okay. This die that I'm giving you has numbers one to fifty. Okay. Now I'm gonna roll a die, same amount of sides. That's two to fifty-one. Okay. Uh, what are the chances that my die from two to 51, I have numbers on it. You have one to 50, which is the better die to have if, which we're playing, who gets the highest number mine, mine, right? Because it's two to 51 rather than one to 50, but it's only by one. It's only by what? 2%. Yeah. Right. Cause it's 50 sides and I could go up one point higher than you. So if you if I rolled and then you rolled, it would be a shock if you rolled a higher number than mine, even though my die goes up to 51. No, because look how minute. Like you're not gonna be shocked. Like most of the, it's it's you wouldn't even be able to tell that the die have different numbers on them for like hundreds and thousands of rolls. Right? The difference between one to fifty and two to fifty-one. Let's say a third person had three to 52 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and all three of us rolled the die each time and who won each time you would if, if you didn't know that the numbers were one offset off from each other you probably would not even know for thousands of rolls that one die was slightly more advantageous than the other die but that's now you're comparing three cash lineups to each other right so like but that's the but once you get once you get that statistical concept, then you go, why the hell are we arguing so much over these small things? And we could put a number on these things. And why don't I just I'll just go and play whatever my projected optimal median lineup is and just like, wow, it took me 30 seconds. Because all I'm worst case scenario, I'm rolling the the die that's slightly off, and hopefully I hopefully there's enough people rolling the die that's negative five to forty five, and over the course of time I make money like like that's once you break it down into that type of statistical concept, and also just even what projections are, right? When we go, oh, should you have played uh, Henry or Josh Jacobs? And from a if just looking at the projection, you go, oh, well, there's a difference between one or two or whatever. Think in terms of those, those die. Mm-hmm. Go, do I play Jamar Chase or Amon Ross St. Brown? And you go, well, Jamar Chase is, is obviously a better play. He projects for like two points higher than Amon Ross St. Brown. I go, yeah, that's like me roll that Amon, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown is rolling a die from one to 50. And Jamar Chase is rolling a die from four to fifty-five. That's it. So imagine then, you roll those two fifty-sided dies. Are you? Would you be shocked if Amon Ross St. Brown got a higher score than Jamar Chase? Even though over the course of thousands, he'd be slightly better on average. So, like when you think in those terms, like you're never in the mode of like who's a better play. 
what's going to happen. It's like, wow, the probabilities of like a like 40 of these players are like this close to each other. And you go, well, one guy's going to be way high owned and one guy's going to be way low owned. But really, the differences between most of these players are marginal. And that's so why the lower owned one. Like, like that's the macro concept. But the yep. types of people that don't think in depth, they see this past week and they go, uh, why, why did I play? Uh, why didn't I play uh, Zay Jones over Jacoby Myers? Or what? What they they look and they go, uh, I should have played uh, uh, Godwin over over Keenan Allen. And I go, why? I said, well, Godwin did better than Keenan Allen. I said, but Keenan Allen projected for a point and a half higher than Godwin. I said, yeah, but that didn't happen. I said, do you understand what one and a half points? What are we even arguing over? Like the differences between Keenan Allen and Chris Godwin were were small yeah but the results could be wide yeah right but that's the concept so you ne- you're never in the mindset of 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 thinking like for the next meal like that's what i mean by people thinking too much in the next meal yep. of like okay what is it going to be tonight and it's like no why don't you just understand the macro concept so you could just show up to a slate 30 minutes beforehand and go well, this group of players are all about the same. You don't treat one median point as some dramatic thing. And then once you start thinking like that, you go, well, what do the players' names even matter at this point? Right? And then you go, why don't I just build a lineup that has a number of this and a number of that? And as long as they're not negatively, the players aren't negatively correlated, I'll just play that line. Like, now you start, once you start thinking like that, now, now you've become a much better DFS player. But to get from point A to point B requires you to think, actually think in depth about what DFS is as a game. That you're taking the, well, who, that the, this defense is good against that thing, against like, people go down that road and go, well, why don't, why don't we just distill this to the fact that Derrick Henry versus Josh Jacobs is like two die rolls. One is one to 50 and one is two to 51. And once you think in those terms, like you go, well, what for even with Henry and Jacobs, it's more like one die has one to a hundred and the other die has two to 101. It's like, so it's even less of a difference. And you go, well, once you put it into that perspective. And then you think to yourself, in that perspective, which one pays me more if they more finish? money, right? And you go, well, Josh Jacobs is gonna be five percent on and Henry's gonna be 35% on, but the really their difference is is a one percent difference on a hundred-sided die roll. And you go, once you think in terms of that, now you're not going, well, well, the Chargers have this defense and the and the Jacobs has an injury, and but like like dude, you've already you already have the numbers in front of you. Like mm-hmm. the numbers show that. Like one's going to be seven times more than the other. I, mean, I wouldn't have known that he was seven times. I, I knew he'd be about three times higher owned. And you go, well, they're about the same, right? And then you look at Austin Eckler and you go, he's a little bit worse, but not that much. That's a, it's instead of a one to a hundred die roll, it's uh the, it's a, a negative three to 97 die roll. That's not that dramatic of a difference. So play Austin Eckler and stuff like but that those are the macro things that turning them into once you think in that mindset, then you start asking much better questions. Then you have much better conversations rather than why do you like this guy and why do you like that guy? So like t- 
to me, that's the overall. Once you start thinking in depth about what DFS is, you could that this is this is what studying 16 hours a day will get you towards of like once you get to you need to get to that point first. Anything you do past past it without getting to that point is to me worthless. So those are those are what I consider to be the stupid questions of like I could tell just from the question that a person has not reached the point in which they understand daily fantasy sports as a game. Right. So there's nothing that I can explain to you. Like if you don't understand just even the mat, the concept of expected value, just the concept, not how it applies to DFS even, but just what is expected value? What is the probability of an event, the odds you're getting paid on a bet? Is it, is it higher or lower than the actual probability of it happening? If you don't understand that concept, it's hard. How do you explain anything in DFS? Because, right, right? then people are like, yeah, I'll, I'll lay minus 110 on a coin flip. And it's like, what are you, an idiot? Right? We'll, we'll get the Super Bowl. James, there'll be the Super Bowl this year. People will bet minus 102 on heads. I know. Right? The, th- the, th- the thing is, is that even worse, It'll be minus 102 on heads, minus 104 on tails. And people say that tails is the sharp side. But that's, I'm highlighting what happens when you don't understand macro concepts. You start going down this rabbit hole of, because you don't understand one thing, you misunderstand 17 other things in the process. And then you start thinking in terms of reverse line movement and and trap lines and 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 the fact that books want even action like all this stuff that is all garbage because you don't understand the bare basics of like well how sports books operate like that type of thing how dfs operates and that's where you get down to people asking should i play this guy or that guy it's like once you if you're getting if you're if you're still in that this guy or that guy stage like i, I, I don't know how i could help you anymore Yep. Yeah, you have to get you have to get to the point where you understand DFS as a game. You may not understand it as detailed because there's eight million different variables. It's actually way harder than sports betting, right? Way harder because there's so many variables, and then you have to deal with other people's lineups and what they their choices are. But the thing is, is you have to get past the fact that what you're doing on a daily basis in NBA or a weekly basis in NFL is not predicting player outcomes that all you're doing is trying to get to the probabilities of different people versus what other people are going to own them at. Mm -hmm. Then once you get down to that, then you see statistically, a lot of the stuff is very close to one another. Yep. Once it's very close to one another, then like, what are you doing other than just arranging numbers better than other people? Right. Yeah. Nailed it. Daniel also says there are also a fair number of people who fully understand basic statistics, mathematically speaking, but haven't internalized what it actually means to ride the variance train on an emotional level. That's true also. Right. They don't like people that truly, there are people that either don't understand variance at all or people that know intellectually, but have never experienced it. And if you played poker for a long time, DFS variance, DFS variance is like, that on crack yeah 
right? Well, so like people people can't even do it in poker, and I could do. And poker to me is easy. I've I've had six losing, seven losing sessions in a row. I've had you know it seems like in in in, in one session I've 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 gotten four outed and one outed fourteen times. Yeah, right, and go wow, I'm the unluckiest person in the world. And it's like, that's variance. I've had sessions where it seems like I'm getting aces like every other round mm. and flopping sets every time I get them. And it's like, that's that's poker. But DFS variance, especially for GPPs, mm -hmm. like people really don't, like, like poker variance has nothing on DFS. I mean, it's not, well, you're it's, not it's even really in the same hard. galaxy. It's really hard for people to, to look at, at people, at humans, and understand that variance is within their range of outcomes. You can look at a, at a pair of cards and understand that they're cards and that that variance happens because it's an inanimate object. But when you look at, you know, Luka Doncic, and you're like, oh, this guy's a walking triple-double. And then one night he, he has 21, 6, and 5, and only puts up 40 fantasy points. And then you tilt your face off, and you're like, oh, I should have played LeBron. Or last night... Nikola Jokic finishes with like 35 and 27 or something. And people are like, oh, I should have played him instead of LeBron. And it's like, I'm like the same medians, man. And and it's right. just, it just is what it is. Uh, going through the YouTube trap a little bit. But yeah, the the var the, the variance in D like I I I try I try, I try. I exaggerate stuff on purpose. So I want people. I'd, I'd I'd rather people over overboard, and and I I I do from a variant standpoint. I'm not sure if it's true, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if it was. That if you would have played if in GPP, and I'm talking about just in large field GPPs, if you were to play every single large field GPP there ever was in DFS, I mean ever, from the start of FanDuel Draft Street. Anything, yep. whatever, all the early, I mean, obviously there weren't that many large field back way back then. If you played every contest ever on DraftKings or FanDuel and Yahoo and whoever that had a field size of 50,000 or more yeah, ever in every sport, any slate showdown, otherwise everything till every, every turbo slate, everything. As long as it was a 50,000 entry field or more, you played all of them. And that you wouldn't, your ROI would not be within one standard deviation of its true ROI. Yep. Yeah. And, and Nerdy Tenor has, has, has simmed that out for himself. Okay. That there, there are many, there are many times that are people to, if you would have played every, if you would have played every contest ever like that. And if you, if you're, Current ROI was like seven percent, thirty like let's like a thirty percent chance that we wouldn't even know who you are today, right? Because you would have been broke, right? Right. So like like there are people that are the top of the industry now on the rankings that five years ago they had a, they had a thirty percent chance of never making it to today. Yep. Right, and they just happened to make it today, and then there was another. 30% of people that went broke that may be actually better and have a higher ROI than the best players of today, today. Right. Yeah. And, and it's funny because those people who made it once and experienced their higher ROI once then are considered the best players forever. 
And right. I never well, there's also a lot of people that did that once and are are actually losing play. Yeah, and are, and are actually not very good. But I, no, I actually have a negative ROI. Like there are people that have won the one won a milli maker and are actually lifetime losers. They have a negative right. ROI, which right. is incredible, by the way. But I digress. Not, neither here nor there. Right. But that's how much. But that, that's what I mean by how much variance there is in DFS, even compared to poker, which has high variance. So like. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, I'm used to poker variants. It's like you 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 do DFS variants. If you're playing large field GPPs, yeah, like you're, you're going to like it. It still boggles my mind to just. This is why I highlight it when I say that in large field GPPs, when I played, because now I'm focusing a lot on the smaller stuff. Like you'd lose ninety to ninety two percent of slates, and they go. Really? You lose 92%? Yeah, yeah, but I made, last year I made $140,000. Yeah. They go, how do you make $140,000 losing 92% of the time? It's like, well, the 8% of the time that I win, I win a lot of money. Yeah. Like, that's that's how you should be playing. Like, so it's a matter of like, like, yeah, yeah, in a baseball, in 180 slates of baseball, you're probably going to lose 170 of them, mm-hmm. right? But playing in a way where the 10 that you win, one or two of them are for $100,000. Yep. Right. And that's, and that's it. So, so you could go three months, four months, a, a full season and be like, wow, my, my chart is just down. And then go, what am I doing wrong? It's like, you do nothing. You, you could be the best play. Like this is what I tell people as an exaggerated thing. Uh, I've been playing, uh, uh, I've been playing NBA for what has it been? Uh, a month and a half, six weeks. And here's my results. And it's like all down, 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 down like this. I go, it said, you know what? You could be the best DFS player in the entire world. Go, what do you mean? It said, what you're showing me doesn't tell me anything. Yeah. It's like this past six weeks. I mean, this could be the graph of the greatest DFS player ever. Said, yeah, but uh, but I'm losing for six weeks. I said, said, dude, I've lost for, in NBA, I've lost for four months. Yeah. Right. And then win 50,000. And then. It goes, and now I'm I'm up twenty thousand on the year. Or something like like that's what GP. That's if you can't get that concept, like I don't know how you're gonna get better at DFS if you don't if you don't get that the macro the macro of that. It's not well. How do I build lineups? Like that's secondary. You need to get these macro concepts. The first you need to get the concepts from the first course. This is why when people ask, like, should I can I just go to the advanced players course? I've I've been playing for five years and. I, I I could use some Excel tools or whatever. It's like, be really sure that you, the first course, the 15 hour masterclass, how to think like a professional DFS player thinking these, these concepts you need to get first. Cause then once you start adding stuff up, you, you, how do you, how do you make good decisions? If you don't understand variance, if you don't understand sta- standard deviation, what a range of outcomes is, what a distribution curve is. Like if you don't get that, like I don't know how you build upon, and you're you're constantly gonna just be, like just guessing and second guessing, and then going on tilt, and then entering content willy nilly. Maybe I should play this. Maybe I should play that. Not knowing the differences between, well, playing these field sizes versus those field sizes versus these short slates versus these large slates. Like, dude, you need to get the macro stuff first. And then once you get all the macro stuff, then I have no problem having the conversations about all the nuances. Yep. 
the small the small things, but people tend to gravitate to those small like they're worried about home away splits in in NFL. And I go, well, they don't matter. It's like, what do you mean they don't matter? This guy in the past six games, whatever, it's like the fact that you're saying in the past six games six, means six you game don't game. understand statistical concepts from them in the macro perspective, right? When people, people but uh, in, in a Zoom call, so uh, not to not to call them out or anything. I, you always want to study stuff, but a lot of stuff is just uh, what showdown winners of the of the Island Game showdown lineups look like for this season. So the past what twelve weeks, thirteen weeks, and he showed the construction types. And I go, what does this matter? He goes, well, I want to see what types of lineups are more likely to be first. I said, but you all you have is like you have like 36 slates of the winners and I'm, and the winning lineup may not even be a plus EV lineup. So, so what, what it's like, well, 36 is better than nothing. I go, you're right. 36 is better than nothing. And it's like, you know what sample size you need? Like 36,000. I would almost argue that 36 is actually worse than nothing. Is that right? Cause you're going to come to a conclusion. that doesn't matter. I, I would argue that if you are going off of that, that you should just be using nothing. But the, but the thing is, is that I don't mind talking to those types of people because it's like, okay, you're trying to study. I see what you're doing, but you've missed a macro point of like, what is the sample size? What What is this information showing? Now, it would have been better to go, I said, why don't you study the top 0.1% of lineups instead of just the winning lineup? And I said, how about this? Instead of studying any of the winning lineups, why don't you, why don't you study the lineups of winning players? Right. Instead. And go what 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 for each slate, and then I then I go to him. I said, well, on this slate from three weeks ago, there was a pricing error, which made this lineup construction more odd. Like you're not going to get the context of all of all of these things. It's going to be weighted too much. Like you're because you're only looking at thirty six of them. If you had thirty six thousand, and he was like, well, how do I get there? Hasn't been thirty six thousand. I said that's the macro point. The macro point is that. Dude, the sample size of this are so small that any doing any type of this type of work, you're going to get, you're not only going to get, not going to get conclusions, you may get faulty ones, right? Like, just like you said, it may actually be worse than that. So the better way to do it is to simulate, simulate the games and play the slate out a hundred thousand times. And he goes, well, I don't have the ability to do that. He said, well, that would be the, that would be a more precise way of doing so. But under... Just simply understanding that a 36 slate size is not because that that's that's the whole thing that I mentioned about variance. Oh, I've been doing this for six weeks. I go, come back to me after six years, and they go, six years. So I'm not gonna know whether or not I'm a really good player for six years. It's like, dude, I've been playing for seven and a half years, and my ROI is still not within one standard deviation of its true ROI. So it's quite possible. It's quite possible. It's not unlikely. It's not likely, but it's it's not it's a non-zero. It's maybe five, five to ten percent of the time. My it turns out that for the past seven and a half years, I'm, I'm I've been playing unprofitable. Right? I me, I've made I've made money every every year for seven years. Right? I'm going to get a ten ninety nine this year also, eighth fiscal year in a row. It's quite possible that I've actually been playing badly and gotten lucky enough that I'm profitable. Mm -hmm. And I've been playing for seven and a half years. So when you're like, 
come back to me after six years. Like that, I'm not saying to actually come back to me after six years, but I just, you need to understand that looking at six weeks worth of data, of results, especially if you're playing the the largest contests, is, is you, you might as well be looking at one, you might as well, what are you looking at at that point? Yeah. Now, if you're playing hundred mans, obviously the smaller the field, if you're playing cash games, if you're playing double ups, and you've only been double, you've only, you have a, a 28% win rate in double ups over six weeks, you're, you're probably doing something wrong, right? Over six weeks of daily play, like you're playing NBA. So you have, you have 40 slates and you're only cashing in double ups like 30% of the time. Like that's an, far enough where you're probably doing something wrong. And the same way that if you're, if you're winning at like a 75% rate, that's not going to be sustainable, but you're probably doing something right. Oh, after 40 or 50. Right. But most of the time you're going to be somewhere in the 45 to 55% range. And you're going to be like, well, I'm only catching 48% of the time instead of 54 or 55. What am I doing wrong? Said that variance. I mean, I, I, that, that could mean anything right at that point, right. In cash games. And then once you start to get to the larger fields and the GPPs, it's like, like, dude, the difference of one point could mean the difference of your true R- your ROI being positive or negative for a five year period. <laughs> I mean that that's the point. Like, like, dude, one point away from the milli is a nine hundred and fifty thousand or a nine eight hundred and fifty thousand gap, right? Let's say you were down a half a million dollars at that point. Simply one extra point, some extra some a reception. Yeah. I mean, the difference of you being profitable for a five-year period or not. Now that's an extreme example, but let's take, if it was a hundred thousand versus 40,000, because we have those like on the NBA or something, large field, you come in second instead of first. That's $60,000. Yeah. That's, that's literally me right now. Right. That like, that's the, one, one point could be that. So when you yeah. understand that variance could be that like that, like, dude, what, what, you have to play much longer. You have to, that's, this is why I say study, instead of looking at your results, studying winning profitable players, not people that have profited on a slate, but just a group of people that are like, they're profitable in NBA. Yeah. Let me study their, their lineups. What do their lineups look like compared to my lineups? Right. Who did they, they play a lot of? Who did I play a lot of? Who, what types of lineups? What, 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 what's the projection of their lineups versus the ownership of their lineups? And just, that's you could spend 15 minutes a day after every slate the next morning just looking at that and just going not don't think in terms of why well why did they do this over that just to compare and if you look and you go yeah i built lineups very similar to their lineups okay then then didn't matter if you lost all your money that slate like most likely you're you're, you're playing well if you see yourself significantly off now you could spend another 15 minutes to investigate why these winning players played these types of lineups and you played these types of lineups. Maybe you were playing way too contrarian. Maybe you were playing way too chalky for the, the contest type. Maybe, maybe, maybe you got a projection wrong. Maybe, I mean, dude, maybe you got ownership wrong. But you'll right? figure well, it out. If you look for like 20 minutes. Right. That's more useful than looking at your own results and going, well, in the past 30 slates, I've done X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Like, but who are you comparing it to? Like, how you 
is that good or bad? You only have 30 slates, right? And then you go, well, I'm going to look at my results over 300 slates. I go, you know, you only have 300 slates. And then you go, well, I'm going to look over my results for 3,000 slates. You know what I want to say? You only have 3,000 slates. I mean, like, like these are still small sample sizes. So in order to compare small sample sizes, the what's the most best way instead of in a vacuum, just compare it to other people's, mm-hmm. right? So just like that would be more useful than determining like, should I play the Zay Jones cash lineup or the or the Josh Jacobs cash lineup? Like, dude, these are all like rolling hundred sided dies with one point being different. Like, what what's that? What's there to learn? Now, if you want to look at uh, what what a better thing to do, look at the best cash player player lineups and go, what choices did they make? Yeah, it's like you you played X lineup and. A lot, most of the people that you respect and that are profitable cash players did not play play this this two v two instead. You go, and then you could figure out why they did it and you did. Like, maybe your projections were off, maybe something like that. But a lot of times you'll find that even in cash games, you could look at ten different respected profitable cash game lineups players, and they will have different lineups, and your lineup will look like a mesh of all of them. And that's like, we were all two V twos or three V threes off from each other. The results went whatever way they went. And then you go, well, what do I do differently? I go, nothing. It's just that fucking variance. That's that's like, maybe you should, if, if everyone is playing like that in the contest that you're in, maybe you should stop playing those contests. If everyone is a two V two or three V three, off of the projected optimal lineup and everyone's within one point of each other from a median standpoint, like maybe you should just not play cash anymore or find weaker opponents. Yep. Absolutely. Long episode what, today. What a good rant. What a good rant. That was great. People, there are some people that like my rants and most of the time I think people hate my rants. No, if, if people listen all, listen all the way through this episode, which, you know, hit or miss, the people listen all the way through. But uh, it, it was really good information. Really good one. I feel like I'm yelling at people most of the time. You should be. Some people should be yelled at. I'm trying to teach. Uh, but you teach people over at paydirt underscore DFS? I do. Uh, paydirt underscore DFS on Twitter and paydirtdfs.com over, uh, over at the site and have a lot of really cool things. I've been uh, reformatting a lot of the Excel embeds into HTML tables so that they are a little more consistent and a little bit uh, nicer to look at and much easier for me to upload. So I've been doing a lot of that work. Hopefully by the end of the end of the week, we have all that kind of stuff done. But yeah, come come over, hang out, join the Discord. It's free to, to join and you can hear me talk about a whole bunch of different things. Trevor asked, do any of the RG model builders use some of their own hunches to affect the numbers? Or do they simply plug in fantasy points from what the model tells them? Well, that's not how models are built. But no, they were not. They were not used hunches, right? And the people who are using hunches, you shouldn't listen to them, right? You should. What What you should do, Trevor, is get the theory of daily fantasy sports because we have an entire chapter that essentially explains how models are built, right? It's the entire chapter three. We call it player selection. But really, it's a statistics. It's two hours of me and James going over what what ver- like what predictive power is, right? Mm-hmm. What what correlations are? What like what? How do you weigh things in a model that matters? So it's like, oh well, people. Well, 
this guy on Wednesdays when it's a full moon scores four more rebounds than anyone like, dude, that has no predictive power, right? Like good. Right. That's the point. That's so it's a matter of like your hunches. Oh, it's an, it's this thing. There's a way to measure that. So models will measure that and then account for that information to conduct, to get a fantasy point range of outcomes based on that. They don't include hunches of any type. It's if it has no predictive power, it won't be like it won't be weighed. Right. That's the whole point. And then you back test constantly to see how those things change over time. And it's never going to change majorly over time, but it may change here and there. Right. Ballpark factor in MLB. That'll change over time here and there, here and there. Right. Right. But there's no, but James, there's no hunches in your model. No, no, nothing except for the attractiveness portion. Right. The attract is that is that a is that a plugin? Is that an add-on? Yeah, yeah. It's it's, a, it's a weighted global variable that I added on. It's it's what we call a bolt-on in the modeling industry. Do do you do you do you do you do your own personalized attract? Do you have the James McCool attractiveness variable, or can I can I customize it? Will you give me pictures of all the players and then I rate them and then you weight my rate? Because maybe yeah. I find Trevor Lawrence to be more attractive. So, but you don't. So that's really so really technically for the attractiveness model. You are introducing hunches. Well, no, 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 no. Because let's be honest with this. I'm a professional and you're not. So I, I, I know you should just trust my attractiveness model rather than what yours is. Yours isn't as trained as mine. Right. My mine, I have a much, I have much lower standards. Right. There you go. Right. Don't tell your wife I said that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, theory of DFS.com. We got us uh, plenty of stuff on the, the Roto Grinders YouTube channel today. NBA. Uh, NFL, uh, we got uh, Monday Night Football, obviously. We got NFL content out the ass for the rest of the week. Remember, main slate is on Saturday on Christmas yeah. Eve, but there's still like a three or four game slate on Sunday. So my, I'll primarily be covering the, the Saturday slate, but uh, we will have shows for each. So hit that thumbs up button on your way out the door. And uh, and I'll see you tomorrow. Answering your DFS strategy questions or or ranting ranting at you about DFS strategy or whatever, trying to get you into shape. I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to, I'm like your drill sergeant. Do the work. Let's all, let's all, let's all make some money and I'll see you tomorrow. Another edition of the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.